if you always have your dog in your intimate space, this is where separation anxiety comes from. Because your dog is used to being very close to you, they become codependent. So they don't actually know how to exist with you outside of that zone. So with it, like it's really hard for dogs with separation anxiety to be in a social zone, never mind public zone if they're human. Right. So it's really upon us as humans and definitely dog owners to establish boundaries around us. Own your intimate space and your dog really should only be allowed into it once invited. Hey, what's up? Hello, I'm Liz Foley, your favorite dog trainer, and welcome to another episode of Honest to Dog Podcast. Jeff Gadway here as your co-host and guide through today's topic of social zones. Mm-hmm. So this is a topic that is just as applicable to us as humans as it is to dogs. True. So we're going to start by talking about this idea of a human social code and that there are, whether we know it or not, different zones that we allow people into based on the nature of our relationship from relationships that are incredibly intimate to people that are acquaintances to the general public at large. Mm -hmm. And so Liz, walk us through how the idea of social zones play into our day-to-day lives as humans. And then we can take that and apply it to our understanding of dogs and dog psychology. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I'm walking my dog down the street and I pass someone I don't know, I might make eye contact and smile. That's the extent of it. Okay, I'm not running up to hug and French kiss people I don't know. I don't know anyone who does that. No. (laughs) Because we agree that that's not um, socially acceptable. We want consent. We want to give space. We want to show respect. So we keep strangers Mm -hmm. in a public zone. Mm -hmm. Whereas maybe acquaintances, people who we have... That you've met several times, you shake hands, you're cordial when you see them out and about, but you're not texting and calling them. We we allow them in a little closer, and right? Yeah. And we feel comfortable with that. Bring it in a level closer and you've got people who you feel comfortable in your personal space. Mm-hmm. You divulge more information, you tell them more personal things. You might shake their hand or hug when you meet them. Mm-hmm. So these could be close friends, family members. And then there's your intimate space, Mm -hmm. your innermost circle, you know, the people who are closest to you. I consider it just really who you live with because they know your day-to-day lives. They know everything. You're living in very close proximity. And so I think this is really important because while we have come to accept these different levels of proximity and closeness between humans, when it comes to dogs... Mm-hmm. it feels like there's one zone yeah. and everybody's up in it, you know, oftentimes, and you've probably had this when you're walking your dog, someone just assumes that they can come up and pet your dog or touch your dog or bring their dog within your dog's intimate space. And that is the recipe for a disaster. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if there was one thing that dog owners could agree on you universally, I would just want it to be just, just give space. How about you just give some space? Um, because that alone would solve so many problems. See, here's the thing. Back to the human thing for a second. When somebody violates that mm-hmm. social code or that social contract, what we feel is appropriate and acceptable, it stands out in our minds. Like, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. I went to a meeting the other day. I walked into the office and somebody that I had literally met once 
came over and like hugged me, mm-hmm. right? Now put aside the fact that like the pandemic has caused us to be Second even guess more and... cautious yeah. with physical contact. It just struck me as odd after the fact that this person that I don't really know that I would probably characterize as more of an acquaintance came in that close and Mm -hmm. was that comfortable. And so we are aware of it when it happens between humans, when Mm -hmm. that social code is, is broken, but we don't seem to give it a second thought when it comes to our dogs. And dogs have teeth that they'll use and bite. So we should be even more careful. Absolutely. Because it's not like you smacked that woman. Did you? Did you hit her? No, no I kind of I kind of just rolled with it because yeah. I was like, oh, that's what's you're, going on here? It's because you're a happy-go-lucky. Well, We're socially malleable. That's right. That's right. And and our dogs as instinctual creatures don't have that kind of intellectual capacity to kind of go with the flow, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody comes into their intimate space or even their personal space and they don't feel comfortable with it, they feel threatened, the energy is off, they're going to respond in kind instinctually Mm -hmm. sometimes that just looks like even shutting down and people continue to interact with them when really they should be giving space so we've got these four different zones intimate personal social and public Mm -hmm. how would you or, or or do you affix kind of general values in terms of distances to those when you're introducing them to your training clients either in group class or in private training how big are each of those zones? Mm, yeah. Okay. So I do. I love. This was one of my favorite classes for for group class. It was the social theory class, and this is about the I think the seventh class in my group class, the ten weeks or five weeks, whatever. Um, and I would mark with chalk on the floor, mm-hmm. and when I would do this out and about, we'd mark it with pylons, and so it's a visual thing. And I get two volunteers unknowingly come on up and have them stand at each one of the distances so public is 12 feet and more okay a dog can sense you in that space right you're aware of someone who walks in a room even if they're 12 feet away well and think about dogs for a second because their sniffers are so powerful mm-hmm. even being 12 feet apart is they can smell if you're a sweating. social experience even yeah. though it's public zone they know if you're nervous excited insecure they see through you (laughs) so when you have those two those two unknowing participants standing at public zone how do they feel they're comfortable yeah they're like this is whatever they've been in public zone they've actually been in social zone during class this whole time so bring them in they're still comfortable within social zone and our social zone is between four to twelve feet okay so So we've got a lot of at twelve feet and then social is four to twelve feet Mm -hmm. okay 12 feet is, public is 12 feet and more. Oh, okay, gotcha. Social is four to 12 feet. So we've all been practicing giving each other social space now with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I loved COVID a little bit for that reason, just that it taught us about proximity and being aware of being in each other's space. And I'm like, this is going to make dog owners and dog lovers worldwide change forever. Love it. It hasn't yet, but maybe this podcast will. (laughs) So people are comfortable when you bring them together in social kind of four to 12 feet. Then what happens? Then we put them in personal and personal is between one and four feet. 
they're still comfortable. I think I would put them at about two feet away from each other. Actually, they're not comfortable. <laughs> that would be already a little bit of like, okay, either they were anticipating what came next because they saw the next marker or even that was a bit too close for comfort. So you could extend your hand and shake your hands from that point, but not hug and embrace. Mm -hmm. Without fail, every time I did this exercise, when I brought people into intimate space with one another, guaranteed somebody would try to alleviate pressure. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, turn away. They wouldn't be looking directly at the person mm -hmm. or even turn not just their eyes, their shift their body and... I would purposefully leave them. I would talk to the class and turn my back and all of this stuff, purposely talk, leaving them in that place to see how long this uncomfortable sense would last. And the second I told them, okay, you can just, you can go sit down. Thank you so much. We would talk about too, how uncomfortable they felt and why. You don't know this person well enough to be in that close proximity. It feels unnatural. It's uncomfortable. And yet, what do we see all the time when mm -hmm. we're on walks? This is my point. Not only do we allow people, allow other dogs to come into our dog's social or personal space, they're often getting into our dog's intimate space mm -hmm. if we're letting dogs greet face to face or nose to nose. And that's going to make an uneasy, like take our dogs for a second. Mm-hmm. Blue and Ty in particular are a little bit nervous as it is. And so if they've got dogs that are, and we're going to talk about this mm -hmm. with our own dogs and where our dogs are most comfortable, but if they've got dogs invading their intimate or even personal space, it's going to add pressure. It's going to add tension. And it's the recipe for maybe not great interactions. Mm -hmm. And then it set ba sets back your training when all of that could be avoided by just practicing safe space. I do love and appreciate how people are more now starting to ask for permission for, for petting and moving into intimate space. However, it's really not up to the dog owner. And sometimes dog owners feel like they have to oblige and say mm -hmm. yes. Really, you should be assessing your dog at that point and you're advocating for them. So the dog can't speak for itself, but look at the dog, assess the dog. How is the dog feeling when you're in even just personal or social space? That will tell you whether or not you can move forward and know that if you don't have a close relationship to that dog, is it fair to ask them to be tolerant of you invading their intimate space? I want to come back to this topic of assessing and evaluating in different zones. But before we talk about that, while we're sort of still introducing the four different zones and helping people understand what those zones look like and feel like, Let's talk about some common things that our dogs do on a daily basis. And you tell me, generally speaking, what zone it would fall in. Mm, okay. So let's say... I a, like this game. A group class. You're teaching a group class. Mm -hmm. What zone is that happening in? The way that I would purposefully space... We were in a small room at the doghouse and I would only take so many dogs so that we could all stay within social space of each other. Now, I'm not saying that's every group class. Some group classes use a lot of dogs and they stay maybe close together. But for me and the dogs that I was dealing with, I always err on the side of caution and we stay in social space. So that's about six feet. Okay. What about a pack walk? You're walking mm -hmm. with a number of other dogs on leash. Okay. They're on leash. Then that is personal zone, right? You're not standing far apart. You're going to be walking together as a group, um, but the dogs aren't 
really commingling. Mm-hmm. So I would say personal. I think the important thing to keep in mind here is there's no one size fits all. Maybe your dog mm-hmm. needs to be in social space to be comfortable on a pack walk. That's totally fine too. But mm-hmm. we're just saying, you know, sort of generally speaking, where these things happen. What about when you're feeding your dog? Mm-hmm. That's intimate space. There you go. Because you're right up sharing mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what about... Your dog sleeping in your bed? That's intimate, intimate zone. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say like an example of more public space. Like maybe you're you're on a walk and you cross mm-hmm. the street to alleviate pressure and create some more space. Now maybe you're going from what would be a social space interaction to, to more public, public space yeah, interaction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're just opening up space. It's not necessarily avoidance. It's not like you're turning and running in the other direction or completely veering off course. I'm just opening it up, opening it up, making more space, making everybody feel comfortable. And if you're a sensitive person, you're very aware of space. And like for me, if someone's standing too close behind me in line, oh, like it it makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so it frustrates me even just seeing, and I did a post about this, when someone's holding the end of a six-foot leash, you're claiming a lot of space. You're taking up social. You're, you're taking up intimate, personal, and social space all the way around you. And that's larger than most pathways. So it makes it hard for me, a sensitive person, to have enough boundaries around myself, never mind my dogs. Yeah, yeah. So when you become more aware of pressure and space, you can become more considerate of others. Something else I've heard you say before is that one way to guarantee that an altercation or a bite isn't going to happen is to just stay in public space. Mm-hmm. Like or social. Or social. There is there is no way that you are going to get injured or your dog is going to get injured if you are deliberate about staying outside of personal space with mm-hmm. another another dog or another person. Yeah, exactly. There's just no way anything can happen. Because when do dogs get bit? I'm sorry, no. Yeah, well... When do people most often get bit? A lot of the time, it's when someone's holding a dog. Right. And the dog goes right for the face, right? You're too close. Or going in to give a dog a kiss, you're too close. So stay out of that zone for the most part. So now that we're talking about intimate space and, you know, the, the relationship between being in intimate space and, you know, potential altercations, um... What are some other implications of too much time mm. in intimate space? Yeah, this one. If you can hear a little rustling in the background, <laughs> Blue is trying to jump into Baker's crate. And it only opens from the top. So he's trying to like parachute in through the sunroof. It's pretty <laughs> hilarious. That was a good description. Yeah. He's safe and I'm back. I know that this is going to ruffle some feathers perhaps, but... If you always have your dog or majority of the time your dog is in your intimate space, this is where separation anxiety comes from because your dog is used to being very close to you. They become codependent. So they don't actually know how to exist with you outside of that zone. So with it, like it's really hard for dogs with separation anxiety to be in a social zone, never mind public zone if they're human. Right. And so it's really upon us as humans and definitely dog owners to establish boundaries around us. Own your intimate space and your dog really should only be allowed into it once invited. I'm thinking about Blue when we first got him. Mm. 
he almost had separation anxiety beyond, I'd say, public zone. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to be in intimate zone and, and we tried to curb that as much as possible. But I feel like when we were out of eyesight from him, mm-hmm. so like out of that personal space where he could see us and sense that we were present, then he would start to cry and let on, mm-hmm. at least for the first bit until we were able to curb some of that behavior. So while I think you're spot on in terms of too much time spent in intimate space creating separation anxiety, if your dog is really sensitive, maybe that actually extends to personal space as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we know Blue was held a lot. He's a small dog and that's something that a lot of people do. They hold them, they put them in baby Bjorns and keep them really close. And so it's common for them to kind of freak out, even though it wasn't with us, we didn't create the separation anxiety. It transferred to us rather quickly because of his pack position that he, and his kind of learned helplessness where he's like, I have to be attached to a human at all times. It's for my survival. Um, And so it was, it was our job to work through that with him. Okay, no, I need a boundary. I need you. That's why we did crating. So we could work on that public zone and you being more independent from us. So now that we've talked about what the four different zones are and given some examples of common activities that could transpire in each of these zones, I think it's really important to acknowledge that these are not one size fits all zones, that what's comfortable for one dog in Mm -hmm. one zone might be uncomfortable for another dog in another zone. And it might even be different for your own dog given different circumstances as well. Mm -hmm. So Liz, how do you go about introducing your dog to different zones and figuring out where their comfort zone is? Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you did there. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I'm doing even exposure for a puppy, um, I'll start far away and work towards. Most people just go right to the source and are like, check it out. That's great. Um, that works for some dogs, but not all. And so I pretty much assess and evaluate at each zone and seeing where there might be hesitation or confusion or fear or aggression or excitement and work on calming down there before going any closer, right? So you want to, then that gives me a guide about, okay, if we're working with something that moves, maybe it's cars, we're going to stay at a social distance from bikes too until we can get you more comfortable with more exposure from a distance and getting closer and closer and closer until we make it no big deal and finding beyond that because I want dogs to for the most part they should tolerate within personal space because that's kind of life you know (laughs) but maybe you have to muzzle your dog in order to do that there's ways around it um, but even with food, I practice leave it at a distance and then up close. So really distance comes into play in a lot of your training activities. It's whether or not you're aware of it. Because even with place, I tell my clients when you're teaching it, you have to stay in the same room. You have to be within a very close proximity to get your dog back on place. It's only once your dog knows it that you can start to go into social that you could maybe even go to public. So if if I'm hearing you right, number one, 
start from further out and work your way in. Whereas a lot of people maybe jump too far ahead too quick and they kind of trial by fire. Let's see if my dog is going to kick off with this other dog in personal or intimate space and then there's a bit of a kerfuffle and then they back it off, Mm -hmm. right? And damage is done. You've unwound some of your training. Your dog is going to lack confidence. So start at public and then if it's looking comfortable and there's no tension and everybody is calm and confident Mm -hmm. then you can move to social and kind of assess and evaluate there and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. i think it's not uncommon to do the rush to to rush into intimate space right away with certain things especially training because i mean that's how i was taught initially to get dogs comfortable with something you're uncomfortable with this i'm going to put you right up to it deal with it there and that's called flooding right and Again, that might work for some dogs, but I'm very much with all that I've learned over the years of the mindset of prevention instead of intervention. And so if I can avoid it going south, why wouldn't I? Um, And doing it carefully and thoughtfully and fairly to the dog with these incremental babies. We all know I love baby steps. You know that. So I'm going to start. It comes up up in like every episode now. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about our three dogs for Mm -hmm. a sec. and How they're different. How they're different. Use them to kind of compare who's comfortable in in what zone. Mm -hmm. So let's start with Ty, for example, our eldest child. Yes. Where do you think he's most comfortable with other dogs? With other dogs right now is other dogs that he doesn't know it's social zone, which is dramatically improved from public zone. He, yeah, didn't like the sight of other dogs. He didn't like being approached by humans either. It was mostly um, public zone. He was on high alert. I wouldn't say he was even reactive at that point. I have worked with dogs that are reactive in public zone. It's not uncommon. Um, But Ty has progressed to social zone for dogs he doesn't know and personal for dogs he does know yeah and which how is would huge you, for him how would you compare that to say baker and blue for dogs they don't know and dogs they do know mm-hmm. blue with dogs he doesn't know he's in public zone yeah he does alert barking he turns reactive um so we're working on that and dogs he does know i still think he kind of prefers staying within social distance mm-hmm. um for the most part like he'll go in for a quick greeting maybe and then disperse um but with his brothers yeah whom oh my he gosh trusts intimate, and loves, intimate it's, space. it's like what's what's more intimate than intimate zone i know like, yeah he wants to sleep like touching tie mm-hmm. and yeah they're very mouthy and touchy with their play yeah. so he feels very comfortable with them but this is also something that i'm aware of that i make sure he's created independently I make sure that sometimes he gets a solo walk or something that's individual so that he doesn't become codependent on our pack. Right. Because dogs can totally have separation anxiety from, from other dogs. Other. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Oh my gosh. Hashtag littermate syndrome. It happens. Anyways, we'll do an episode on that. Then when it comes to Baker, Baker is tolerant of people, other dogs in personal space. Yeah whether he knows them or not. And pretty quickly, he'll even allow you into intimate space. He he warms up fairly quick out of all of ours. So let me give you all an example of kind of how we use this understanding to our advantage. Mm-hmm. 
if we're walking down the street and it happens all the time, somebody's like, can I say hi to your dogs? Mm-hmm. And we feel like they've got pretty decent energy and we're up for it. What we will generally do is offer up Baker as tribute yeah. because he's the most tolerant. Mm-hmm. And we'll say, yeah, say hi to Baker. And we'll create more distance for Ty and for Blue because we are aware that they are more sensitive to new energies in their social and public spaces. Mm-hmm. And it helps them to work through something. It becomes a training experience instead of just saying no and all walking by. Do we do that sometimes? Absolutely. 100%. But time and place, if how social I'm feeling will play a part in that for sure. But yeah, we know that Baker enjoys meeting new human friends. He can also take it or leave it. Um, and then, yeah, we advocate for our other two. What are some other differences between ours? We talked about kind of new, unfamiliar dogs. What about like people on a patio or, or I'm just trying to mm. think of other kind of common scenarios where there might be differences or nuances in their comfort levels. Mm-hmm. Again, Baker would just like roast in the sun and be happy and take a nap, just like Carmen would, um, even if servers walked by, anything like that. But Ty would be a little bit unnerved if I wasn't able to keep him within social zone. Mm-hmm. It's and really blue needs way more work in order to do that and not be asked to leave yeah. <laughs> just because he's barking. Well, I think the other thing, once you understand what your dog's comfort zones are with these different levels of proximity, then it becomes an exercise in advocating for your dog. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we're, if, if I'm on a walk with Ty and I know that he wants to keep foreign dogs in a public zone, we're walking along I'm, I've got my head on a swivel. I'm looking for other dogs and it's not like I'm looking to avoid them or flee or escape. It's prevention versus reaction. So it's like, okay, I see this dog coming. I think that there could be a possibility of like a personal zone or social zone interaction. I'm going to open up space. I'm going to cross the other side of the street. Maybe I change direction. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding what Ty is going to be comfortable with and accommodating that proactively. Mm-hmm. And and that's going to be different if I'm walking Baker or if I'm walking our pack altogether. My Absolutely. strategy is going to be different based on where I know they're comfortable mm-hmm. in those sp- spaces. So I have an example. If we're walking, say, in a forest and someone's doing off-leash, our dogs are on leash, say, if I just had Baker with me, I might drop the leash and allow Baker to be social and have that interaction. Now, if I had Ty, I would be trying to stop that dog myself from a public zone before it even entered social. Mm. So I can advocate for him and we can pass by. So that would look like shouting to the owner at a public zone, put your dog on leash. Yeah. And then as it comes into social space, if they don't do that, being able to use my energy and body language to stop that dog, send it away. Yeah. But don't wait until it's personal or intimate space. That's so much harder. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the thing with with pressure, we should have talked about this off the top and I've, I totally forgot. I feel like pressure can almost be like sound, right? Mm. The further sound travels, the softer it gets. If you're mm, in... I like this. If you're in, you know, maybe not public space, but if you're 
just approaching a concert venue you hear the sound but there's a lot of space it's diluted mm -hmm. but the closer you get to the source of that sound the more intense the more driving the more powerful it is mm -hmm. and so proximity and energy operate a lot the same way i think mm -hmm. absolutely it intensifies as you move closer yes so and mm. let me just add one more layer to that remember in like grade 12 when you're like two trains leave opposing stations <laughs> headed towards each other so not only as you get closer to another object but that object is getting closer to you too the amplitude of that energy and pressure is going to increase at a more rapid pace mm -hmm. than than you alone are are approaching if that makes any sense because they're mm -hmm. approaching you too so if two dogs are coming together on leash those leashes are four feet or six feet. So now those dogs are 12 feet closer to each other and you're closing that gap. The pressure is going up much mm -hmm. more rapidly than you maybe even realize. Mm -hmm. That's why I always try to stress the importance of proximities mm -hmm. and using it to your advantage. It will accelerate your training process the more aware you are of it and, and use it as a tool. Really, it's a tool. So if you're approaching a dog with excited energy, it's going to get more excited the closer you get. Same with fear, anxiety, anything like that. Our dogs can sense it from public zone and it'll only intensify the closer you get. Ooh, I like that. So there's something to be said then in, in my mind, you know, number one, be aware. Number two, stop and check. Stop, assess, and evaluate. Yeah. You know, what zone am I in? And it becomes instinctual. It's not like you're going to be out there with a tape measure, right? But it's kind of relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, being able to take action accordingly and your ability to take action decreases with the amount of space that you have, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to use this or explain how I'm using proximities as a way to not only advocate for our dogs, but also to really train our nieces how to be around animals and i just decided you know what i'm not allowing them within intimate or personal space they're toddlers they don't understand poking might hurt a dog or pulling its tail like things like that they're children how they're exploring the world is through their hands and mouths this is a recipe for disaster for sensitive dogs so Instead of trying to control the interaction, I knew I would be stressed by that. So I'd be adding more pressure. And I just don't want the worst case scenario to actually happen. So the, the girls are learning that all their interaction with the dogs is to stay at a social zone. And they're allowed to say hi and wave. So they go, it's so cute. They go, hi, dog. Hi. And I'm like, that's great. Thank you. And they know all the dog's names and that's that's the relationship. And you know what? Ty feels safe. Baker feels safe. Blue feels safe. It's been going so well. And as they get older and more mature and learn better hand-eye coordination, they can have more interactions. And it's my opinion, and I think you share it, there is nothing lost mm -mm. by not allowing those interactions in intimate and personal space. I don't know why we get so bent up I know. on having to touch dogs or, you know, get over it. Mm -hmm. Get over it. <laughs> I love that. 
Hey LA, we want to do a dog walk with you. We want to spend some time with you and your dogs practicing what we preach here on Honest to Dog Podcast. Our walk will take place Sunday, April 10th at 9 a.m. Where is it going to happen, Liz? Griffith Park. More details will come exactly with where to meet, what you should bring, all of those good things. But put it in your calendars. We're giving you lots and lots of notice so that you can plan to come to this amazing event. Meet others in your area who also are Honest Dog listeners and are practicing calm coexistence. You never know. Liz might even just do a couple of training exercises to help get everybody on the same page and make sure that we have the best walk ever. See you there. I want to include a really cool example of proximities, and this is how Caesar teaches it a lot of the time. Um, He teaches proximities in both Fundamentals 1 and 2, and in 2, he marks out with the pylons, and everybody gets to take their turn introducing a dog to the goats, and you evaluate at each zone. How does the dog feel? How does the dog feel? And you work them through all the stages until you can get within personal space of the the goats. The goal is to get the dog within personal space. And then in Fundamentals 1, I'll never forget this, because he actually uses Lorenzo, his llama, to teach about proximities. And when I got pulled up on stage for the demonstration, I made it known. I was like, listen, I've got a big bubble. So I want like, I want majority of people at least six feet away from me at all times. (laughs) This was even before COVID. Right. And so Caesar took that as a hint and even took a step back and laughed. And so he told me how to be able to keep Lorenzo at a distance using body language, like stop him wherever you feel comfortable. And so I didn't allow him into my personal or intimate space. Some people do. Some people will allow this giant llama. And why he uses a llama is because we don't see dogs the same way, even though they're a predator. We see a soft, fluffy thing, and we invite immediately into Im- immediately into intimate space. All of a sudden, we make it a llama, something unknown, and we're like, "Ooh, ee, ee, you stay in public zone, my friend. <laughs> no, I don't want you to spit on me today." And so, it's just a really cool way to really drive that message home, because you're not standing in intimate space ever with a llama, are you? Like, <laughs> so. Anyways, I thought that was. That was a really interesting way. Caesar has very creative ways in which to teach and train. I want to I want to end with one thing because I thought you made a really good point earlier that by understanding the concept of these zones and where your dog's comfort levels are with these different zones in different scenarios, it allows dogs to be included in more things mm-hmm. fairly. Can you just talk about that? Because I think that was a really nice a really nice thought and probably a great way to end in terms of how this helps our dogs and helps us strengthen our bond with our dogs. Yeah. Okay. How do I summarize this? Well, even for just that example I gave, so we're doing family gatherings. How do I set my dogs up for success in those situations? They're on place. And then my sole job is keeping my nieces within social zone. So I'll put myself in between them or we'll use a baby gate or dog gate, whatever that is, but we don't leave the dogs at home, right? We're able to include them. We give them frequent breaks, things like that. Likewise, I mean, when I would do my meditation walks, we'd meet in large areas and you could spread out. I even had a mic so you could hear me. So I was happy if you you came and you were literally 
outside the outermost point of the circle, but you came and maybe you stayed behind for the walk. Again, keeping public zone distance. I'm proud of you and I'm happy you came out and were there because it's still a step forward. Even if you're within public zone, it's still a social experience. Could you argue too, I mean, in the same spirit, if you understand where your dog's comfort levels are, like we know Ty is really only comfortable with unknown dogs and people in his social space. And you go, hmm, we want to go to a patio tonight for dinner. Am I going to be able to provide Ty with that social space? Or is that going to be too challenging based on the circumstances? Mm -hmm. And then deciding whether or not you A, bring the dog, or B, if that's the right venue for you. I I feel like that's really fair and Mm -hmm. really thoughtful and considerate it's like kind of modeling out your scenarios and doing a little bit of risk mitigation Mm -hmm. it's thinking it through it's having a plan it's advocating for your dog it's understanding that training is a lifestyle not a diet Mm. and all your interactions with your dog is setting them up for success or failure so again use proximities to your advantage i would really love to hear from all of you out there in our honest to dog community where your dog feels comfortable with what kind of interactions. Let us know, post something, tag at Honest to Dog Podcast, and let us know where does your dog feel most comfortable with new dogs? Is it public space? Is it social space? Is it personal space? Um, or, you know, where your dog started and maybe where they are now. Like, tell us your social zone story. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And until next time, stay calm and assertive. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast. Honest to Dog Podcast is hosted by Liz Foley and Jeff Gadway. The show is engineered, edited, and produced by me, Timothy Musa. Check out doghouse.ca. D-O-G-H-A-U-S dot C-A.